1: Ryan, let's go mailbag time, man. We got some really good questions here today. And uh we're gonna get to those here now. And first of all, Randy Hernandez with a super chat. Randy, thank you very much, my man. He says, Can we expect an extra show uh on to be August 4th? August fourth, yeah. When uh Jay Nalsbury makes his announcement. Um, I would anticipate us doing a second show that day.
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I would. I, I'll, so. I'll be. I'll be available just in case we have a second
1: show. Yes. Yes. So we'll, we'll we'll probably be around around seven thirty doing a show. His commitment seven thirty Eastern is still the, the time for that. So that's uh eight uh, seven days from now, right? It's it's a week yes. from now. It'll be next Thursday. Yep. So yes, I would anticipate us having two shows that day. Before we get into questions, I did want to bring this up from Andrew Sakoloski. Andrew has gotten re- married recently, uh, and um, wife was pregnant. And they went to the doctors, obviously some concerns, newlyweds and new baby and all that about the health of the baby. But as Andrew said, thank you for the prayers, IB Nation. Andrew put a prayer request up on our message board the other day. It's another great part about being a part of our community. And you can do that here, too. You don't have to be a premium member to ask for <laughs> prayers. Right. Um, but that's just kind of one of the things that we do. And he said heartbeat detected today. Seven months until baby Sakaloski arrives. Hopefully a future linebacker, just like his dad, but blessed regardless. Hey, man, we're happy for you. Really glad that yep. you guys got good news. Happy for you and your wife. And I know this guy over here can relate to that. Those early concerns when you're first learned that your wife's pregnant and you you get those first couple checkups like, uh, how was everything? So uh, I know at least one guy in this channel that can absolutely sympathize sympathize with you.
2: Andrew, make sure to post some pictures when the baby's born, my man.
1: That's right. Absolutely. Tim Hatch asked a very good question. This will be for you, Ryan. On yep. Jared Patterson, is it more financially beneficial for him to go to the NFL draft as the number one center or one of several really good, excellent guards? I'm going to ask this question a little bit differently, Tim, if you don't mind, because I think this will give us a better caveat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it Would it be better for him financially to go into the draft as the number one center or the number one guard? Yeah. And then, then I'm going to follow up with a little bit more of his because I, I think there's more to that I would follow, but that's the first part of the question for the draft I would like to ask you. So tough. Um, I think that within
2: in Jared's situation where he's had three years of film at center, I think it's more beneficial financially for him to play at guard and to show that he can play well. If he can, then you could potentially have two different paycheck options right at the next level because you have the opportunity to potentially play center or guard. So I think the more you do, the more valuable you make yourself at the next level. And I think that I haven't looked up on the cap recently, as far as like what the center and guard distinguishes are, but I'm pretty sure it's not as Like, I'm pretty sure it's kind of evened out a little bit. It's more guys are kind of great at more as interior offensive linemen now than anything. So Mm -hmm. I would say, I think for his certain situation, I want him to be able to play guard this year. And to show that ability to play it because then he has options. I'm trying to give Jared mm-hmm. options because I think that's much more – that's much more athletically opportunity, uh, opportunistic, but also academically. Uh, academically, mm-hmm. um, Financially. Right. I don't know why that word escaped my mind, but financially it's opportunistic okay. as well.
1: I think I think my deteriorating mind is blending on to you uh, today. Uh, now I want to have the question be asked how Tim asked it. Yes. Uh, as far as being the number one center or one of several good, excellent guards. Cause I think that answer is kind of clear, right? I mean, so, so if you're, if you're the number one center
2: comparative to a, a group of guards, usually I would say that the center would go before the guards in most cases,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like you know, you're typically only going to get maybe two ish centers that are going to go in the first round on a given year. So I would take in that vacuum, Tim, I would take the number one center, but I'll say this. I do think that that's very dependent on what draft you're talking about because this year specifically, center is a loaded position. So I think that there might be more upside to be the clear cuts. Well, I mean, in this situation, not even the clear cut guard, but this guard class is not good in 2023. So there might be a little more upside to being a guard in this year's class comparative to a center because there's going to be guys that you're going to be competing with. And I don't think there's huge separations But typically in a vacuum, I would say number one center over one of the many guards.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by trade after she filled out a short quiz. you got to give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee. But there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling when you go to drinktrade.com forward Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. Sean Green says, I know this isn't a mailbag especially episode. It always is a mailbag episode. We always do mailbags at the end of the show, Sean. So we'll get this to you today. We'll get this from you today uh but won't won't be able to catch a live show tomorrow wanted to ask where in the stadium do you prefer watching a game higher up or closer to the field i'm curious other people's i'm curious your response to this ryan for me as a coach i always liked being up in the booth that's still the view that i like the press Mm -hmm. box even gives an even higher view of the field which i know some people that i know that cover the team hate for me, yep. I love it because I can literally see. I don't have to move my head at all to see the entire field, which allows me to see everything. I love the view. But even when I'm at a game that I pay for, so like I went to the, the Fiesta Bowl, took my dad and my nephew, Zachary, to the Fiesta Bowl, I mm-hmm. got front row seats of the upper deck, which was beautiful because I don't like having people in front of me. Sure. Uh, but that was, I mean, if I could if I could go upper, like in a, in a stadium, right, I would always go upper deck front row in between the 35s right midfield's always the best but anywhere in the in between the 35s you're gonna have a great view for me sure um if i'm in a if i'm in a state like a a bowl like notre dame stadium just the higher up i can get honestly and you know what's funny brian there's been times where i'll be at like a spring game or something and with my dad and we'll literally go up to the very top of the the 50 yard line and just like because we might used to like when I was at BGI, for example, you know, I'd, I'd go down and hang out with my dad for a little bit at the spring game. We came a couple times and, you know, and just kind of work from there or just kind of hang out or go back and work later. But I, we would just go to the top. I love the higher views. I really, I really, really do.
2: I mean, so I'm similar from a coaching perspective. I was actually only ever in the box for one season. So the other six or seven years, however long I coached, I was on the field. And man, as a defensive guy, I loved being able to just see the field from that perspective. Right. So I coaching perspective, hundred percent agree. I'd rather be in the booth than on the field. As long as I'm in the middle of the field, as far as like, as a spectator, I'm fine. I don't really care whether I'm closer or I'm up top. If I'm being honest, like higher up into, into the seats, as long as I have that midfield, it's nothing, nothing worse than like just getting like the end zone seats where you just can't see most of the action that's happening, you know, unless it's coming towards you. So I would say just middle of the field as a regular spectator, but I definitely want to be higher. I would rather be in the box as a coach. There's no doubt about that.
1: All oh, right, right. D Hunter. All right. My question for this topic is what would be a position battle you would be surprised about if it happened in fall camp, but is also realistic that it could come into play. That's an
2: interesting question.
1: What makes this even harder, Ryan is, is like what we talked about before is there's just so many positions where it, the, like like the, my first reaction was nose guard because the assumption is that it's going to be Howard Cross but like what if Jacob Lacey but it's kind of like but it won't matter because they're both going to play anyway you know sure. so it really doesn't matter and we made the case yesterday even if Howard Cross is your best guy it still may be smart not to start him because you start his clock later as far as snaps uh, sure. what would be the position that would be the most surprising but realistic I'll say this. I'll go out. Avery Davis, not starting in the slot. I think that would be one where, because,
2: so you, so you think you think if a W steps up and then the Renzo moves into
1: the slot more. Okay. And Avery's coming off the bench. I think, I think that that's could come into play and it's only because of the injuries. Uh huh. Like, cause it's not, it's the unknown of Avery being healthy or not. I think that's a legitimate thing. If if I knew Avery was hundred percent Avery's going to start in the slot and you know, you, you'll play other people there at times, but Avery would be my starting slot. That would be the only one because you know tackles. I don't see it. Uh, you know what? Guard, like, right? Like, I was going like, to yeah. say if
2: Kristoffic beats somebody out, yeah. And and, and we're not talking about think. the
1: Karell discussion earlier. Let us say no. Let's say you know Josh Lugg's not one hundred percent, and somebody battles him at guard. I I just feel like if Josh Lugg's healthy, I just feel like he's going to be a pretty good player this year. I I really agree. Okay. So okay. it'd be more about it'd be more about the injury aspect of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh man, but other than that, man, it's just it's kind of it, like I I don't see Rover. I don't see Jack. Well, Rover, you know, like say Batelho. So? Oh, Patello, you know. I keep forgetting yeah. about Batello and Rover yeah. keep doing it. That might I'm be like, one. because
2: I thought about it for a second. I was like, Jalen Sneed beats him out, but I'm like, that's not gonna yeah, happen. But no like, oh Patello. Not Batello, as a
1: starter. Yeah. yeah uh yeah, exactly. But Patelho, maybe, you know, that kind of it's thing. Felling. I just, I mean, we talked about eight different battles. So, I mean, we covered a lot of them. So, um, but I, I, you know, I, I mean, I'd be okay with it if it was a situation where like, wow, we didn't expect, you know, um, this position to be a battle, but this guy's playing. You know, we didn't expect Will Linebacker to be a battle because of, (laughs) but, but, but Prince Collie has been like a dude. So good. You know what I mean? Right. Like You'd hope it's right. something like that. Not like, man, you know, like. Maris doesn't be good. <laughs> right. Yeah, Maris yeah. just spent all, the whole summer laying at the beach eating Cheetos. You know what I mean? Like, we know that's not true. That's why we're using that example. Sure. But, like, if sure. it was something like that, you'd get nervous. But if it's mm-hmm. something like, yeah, Maris is doing Maris's thing. But, man, Prince, it would have to be. And we're just using that as an example. I don't anticipate that happening. I think Maris. I had somebody say to me the other day. Was it you? Somebody said to me the other day, uh, maybe it was Sean. Might have been Sean okay. Davis told me this. Uh, we were talking the other night. He's like, Don't be shocked if Marist is a buck. So he's he said he's predicting, and he may have done this on his show, but he said mm-hmm. he's predicting that Maris is going to be a buck his finalist this year. And I was oh. like, Okay, yeah, I could see that, right? Like, sure. okay, I didn't flinch at all. I was like, Whoa, hi, right. you know, hold on a second, man. Like, he needs to show something for him. Like, well, he's at the same age Jeremiah Wusakoramola basically was when he broke out. When you consider the, the injury That's and fair. stuff like that. You know, Bear, Jeremiah went from having never played a defensive snap to a dominant 2019 season. I mean, yeah. Jeremiah had 80 tackle. Jeremiah never played a defensive snap in 2018 or 2017. And his first year as a starter went and had 80 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. It's pretty good. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I would that.
2: say here's another one. Maybe. Second tight end. I know we talked about that one today, sure. but it's like you have a couple older guys with Bowman and well, came wrong is not an older guy, but you know what I mean? A couple more ex- experienced veterans as far as being in the program. I mean, would you be shocked if, if one of the two freshmen came in and was like the second tight end by opening day? Like if, if it was a Eli Raridan back from injury or if it was a Holden Stace, like I wouldn't be shocked if either one of those guys took the second tight end job.
1: Yep. Yep. Demetrius Rex for later. Why would you – who would you say your your who would you guys say is set I, – I almost read that completely wrong. Who would you guys say is set for a great fall camp based on their spring? Well, I mean, we, talk, we talked about a few of them, right? Marist. Right. Right. Just talk mm-hmm. about him. Riley Mills is another one uh, based Z on Carrell, that. Z Correll, I guess. Z Correll. Yeah. Uh, you know, great fall – I got to see a lot more from Zeke before I'm going to say grateful. Uh, Brandon mm-hmm. Joseph, for sure. Oh, we already like guys like, like Foskey. Baller. We already know about Adam. You already know about, but I think, I think, you know, some guys that maybe you, you don't know much, much, about, and I say Brandon Joseph because he didn't play at in name. You always want to see how's he going to look in a Notre Dame uniform. Um, based on spring performance. Cause this is based on spring performance. Not the question is specific I, to spring performance. Those are I, guys I know, that I it, think based on their spring I know Joe
2: Walt's a known commodity, but obviously he had a right. great spring, right? Like it's yeah. the best offensive yeah. lineman that we've heard yeah. Him and Blake times, were so. – well, part
1: of the reason we were so excited about them yesterday is how good they looked in the spring. Yeah, yes. that's correct. That is a good one. Yep. That is a good mm-hmm. one. But yeah, we mentioned Riley, Riley Mills, Maris Lofow, um, Brandon Joseph. Yeah, those are the guys I think that kind of first popped my head. I was like, wow, what a great spring that guy had
2: how um howard cross had a really good spring didn't he
1: that's a good, good one too that's yeah. yeah and so did jacob yeah. lacy from what i'm told you know but yep. just howard was really good he was really good I guess just, let's, yeah, it's
2: let's just let's just paint it as the nose tackle position i guess right you know? just, yeah. right
1: right so it's i mean honestly it's partly why i'm not as i'm not concerned about it i mean sure my only concern is can howard hold up on you know what's the what's the pitch count for him have to be Before you wear him down in games and wear him down in November, because he's little, he's really little. And so I'm not worried about him holding up. I'm just worried about him staying healthy. If he has to, if his pitch count gets too high, vanilla Mm -hmm. chill, is there a competitive advantage? I'm, I'm very curious to hear what you have to say about this, Ryan. Is Mm -hmm. there a competitive advantage to not naming a quarterback starter publicly until the first game? Is it better to name one when the time is right to focus on that player's ability strengths more before game one? I think there's two things at work here. Let's go with the first one. I want to hear your opinion on that first part, Ryan.
2: I mean, I mean, sort of. I'm, I so yes, I think there. I think there is to a degree because if you are. If, you, if they're, the rumors are and the conversation is that it's a really close battle, I don't think it's great in this conversation because I think that people assume that Tyler Buckner is going to be the starter. But if you have a true split quarterback conversation, and let's say that they both are just completely different type of players, like let's say it's – I mean, Buckner and Pines a good example, right? Like they're different football players. And let's say that right now the gap was small, and then mm-hmm. you went into the fall in a true battle where you're like, this is neck and neck. It could go either way. I think there is a competitive advantage because you're going to go into the, like you're going to go into that first game where a team had to spend a lot more time now focusing on two different styles of quarterbacks, right? So they're going into the first game. You're just like, we have to prepare for Buckner. We have to prepare for Pine. So in this situation, I don't think it's a huge competitive advantage because I do think that, I, I think that, I think Ohio State is expecting Tyler Buckner to be the starting quarterback. But if it was a true split competition, I hope this makes sense, but if it's a true split competition, then I think that it does have some competitive advantage because you have to prepare for two different styles potentially.
1: I think at the end of the day, in this particular battle, I think it's a situation where I don't think it gives you an advantage because I don't think Ohio State is going to be worried about preparing for Drew Pine. And I don't mean that as disrespect to Drew Pine. He's just a drop-back quarterback. They're just going to prepare for the defense. I think they're going to prepare. As long as Tyler Buckner is healthy in this particular battle, I think that they're just going to prepare for Tyler. I think if there's a situation where you have two quarterbacks that are really good and are really dynamic, but different players, it can create an advantage for what Ryan said, because teams have to prepare to, for two quarterbacks. But when one of your quarterbacks is just kind of like a solid veteran player, I think it, you're just not going to be worried about that with this note, specific Notre Dame example. I just don't think you're going to be overly concerned about. Hey, if Drew Pine wins, that's fine. We 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 we'll be fine. We'll be prepared for the offense. I think you're. I think they're going to prepare for Tyler Buckner no matter what, whether Notre Dame announces or not. There have been other years that's not necessarily true. What makes me laugh is when the two teams are like, like I think the Urban Meyer one year. Was it the Joe Burrow Dwayne Haskins battle, or there was another one where he's like, "Well, we're not going to announce till game day." And I'm like, dude, that that's more in your head. Like you're. The the no the, your offense isn't going to look any different with those two quarterbacks, right? Like it's not like preparing for, you know, a guy that's a you know Brandon Wimbush and and then and, and Joe yeah. Burrow or, or Dwayne Haskins like that would be a different animal because it's two complete or or Ohio State example Braxton Miller and Joe Burrow it's two different you types remember? of quarterbacks.
2: You remember when Texas AM had the battle between Kyle Allen and Kyler Murray? I was like, right. that is very different right. type of quarterback. You know? But you
1: know what every team was gonna do? They were gonna prepare for Kyler Murray. Because Kyle Allen's just a drop back quarterback. You know what I sure. mean? So I'm trying to remember who it was for Ohio State. I don't know if it was like it was JT Bear. I don't remember there was a time where it was it was 2019? No, it wasn't. It was 2019, wasn't it? No, because Dwayne Haskins was the quarterback in 2018, right? Yes. It was the yeah. 2019 that's, that's battle when, between. Burrow
2: transfer Burrow transferred to LSU. Yeah. No, what? That's
1: his first what's year, it, 2018. wasn't 2019 because Justin Fields was at Ohio State in 2019. I it can't remember what year. Huh? It was 2018. It was
2: 2018 because Dwayne no, won the but, starting job. But Burrow he won in the spring, LSU. though.
1: But that was in the spring. Is
2: that in the spring?
1: I think it was in the spring.
2: You might be right. So,
1: but yeah, it, it, was, it was, but it was just so lame. It was just like, dude, it's like. Uh Archer said it was JT JT Barrett and, and Cardell Cardell. But it's just like no one's preparing for that. No, 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 they're the, basically the same quarterback. Your offense is going to be exactly the same no matter which one of those guys is there. Mm-hmm. And it's like when Steve Spur would just rotate the same quarterback in and out. It's like they're the same dude. Like, what are you doing? You know? Uh, but yeah, I just I don't think it I, I think sometimes it can mess with you. The second part of the question is just because you don't name the starter publicly. Doesn't mean your team doesn't know. Sure. It doesn't mean you're practicing. Like I think what what the first part of your your question gets to vanilla chill is is more of a gamesmanship. You know who your starter is going to be, but you're not going to name it. If if you're genuinely not sure who your starting quarterback is going to be until the time your game starts, there's a competitive advantage, and it's to the other team, in my opinion, because that means. Whoever your starter is has been has been splitting reps equally with somebody else all of fall camp, and I don't think that's the best way to prepare your quarterback for success, in my opinion. Yep. So uh, if, if you know who your quarterback is and you're just not going to tell anyone about it, then that's fine, but your team's going to know. And, and I do sure. think it's important for your team to know. I think the team has to know who your starter is at least two weeks out from your opener, at least. I'd prefer a little bit longer but my thing is like I'm not waiting until if if a starter hasn't emerged going into game week 9 times out of 10 that's a problem. It could just be that you got two studs, right? Okay. But it's usually not the case. It's usually because boy nobody's really seized hold of this thing and that's a concern. You want sure. at least 2 weeks in my opinion to to really split the reps up. Where you can and you start really building your offense around that quarterback. I prefer at least two weeks, if not more, is how I look at it. That's fair. Good question. Kyle Wade said, Is there anyone you've watched film on? And this is a recruiting question for you, Ryan. Is there anyone that you've watched film on who currently doesn't have an offer that you hope gets one from Notre Dame this summer or during the season? and and, and he doesn't specify. So let's say it could be 23 or 24 players.
2: Hmm. It's a good question. Uh I mean, 23, I don't think so. We're in the, we're in kind of the dog days of the 2023 class, right? Where mm-hmm. we only have a few spots left when you're Notre mm-hmm. Dame, right? So 2024 is an interesting one. I mean, I, I think, I, I think I'm just interested to see how the offensive line board just expands in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, again, I don't, uh, early on it doesn't look like it's a great class obviously that can change in a heartbeat because they're just coming off of their sophomore year but there's isn't anybody that i would say is in particular a guy that like i'm honing in on but i am interested to see kyle because right now you have gerby lambert you have kyle Altuner, you have peter jones and you have josiah thompson that's your four guys that have been offered on the offensive line for 2024 i am interested to see who coach he stand kind of zeros in on as that expansion. So not, mm-hmm. not overly like as guys that firmly I've seen, but I just am curious to see what the board looks like in that department.
1: There's some, there's been some 23 receivers that I would have liked to have seen Notre Dame go after. Yep. And I'd have to go back and look at my notes again. And I was trying to, I was trying to pull it up actually to see if I could find some guys, but There was, I remember, there was some guys. I was like, "Well, yeah, I really like this kid. I wish, I wish Notre Dame would go after this guy." You know, but uh, one of them was for a while was was Braylon James. Like they had offered him, but he wasn't really recruiting him. And obviously, when the new staff took over, that was a different, a bit of a different story. But I'd have to go back over my notes and look and say, "Hey, who was who was that kid?" Because there was a couple, there was a couple receivers I remember saying, "Like I really like this kid. I would have offered this kid." But I guess uh, maybe,
2: I guess if maybe I'd drop a I mean, we did a quarterback special after, you know, when we kind of heard that it was like also Nova sad and Kenny Minshew were kind of guys to watch out for, but Ricky Collins is a guy again that I yeah. talked about at that point that I would have, yeah. yeah, I would have, that's a good I'd, one. I would at least made a yeah. phone call about, you know, yeah. like for sure. Well,
1: I would have offered him earlier too uh, early sure. in the process. I would have offered him. I wanted him to get offered early in the process. And then maybe if he got offered, maybe it would have been a little easier to recruit him now. Okay. So it's interesting. Cricky uh, asks, "Could Coach Washington have a NASCAR rush line package?" Yes, definitely. Absolutely. I, definitely. I hope that I. Yeah. would Be surprised if
2: he doesn't. <laughs> but, there
1: would know, even be sure. some looks where I would have Isaiah Foskey inside over a guard. Shh. Right. I mean, if it's like a if it's like a without question, one hundred percent pass rushing, pass down, or passing mm-hmm. situation, it's kind of like the, the 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 fourth quarter against or the over second overtime against Clemson. I mean the the play where Jer- where Dalen Hayes had the sack, he was lined up over the guard. He beat the guard, and so you know because it was like it was clearly a passing situation. But yeah, you you could have a situation where you have Foskey inside with Riley Mills or Jason Ademiole, and then you have like Jordan Patelho and Justin Adamola on the outside, or maybe maybe you put a, a three down look where you've got Maris just coming off the outside or something like that. Like you could see a scenario like that. Uh, but, yeah, there's all types of different things. You could have Fosk on the outside. You could put Jason and Riley inside. You know, I mean, that's almost kind of like a borderline rush, you know, NASCAR thing with Justin and, and, you know, maybe a Josh Burnham or Aiden Gobira. It's like, hey, look, this kid can only do one thing as a freshman, but that one thing is really impressive. He can just explode off the edge in the pass rusher. So, on third and 10 plus, that we're putting our NASCAR package and it's going to, you know, one of those two guys is going to be on it. Right. I could see something like that as well.
2: Could you imagine, I know you talked about it a little bit, Justin Adamalola or Jordan Batello is like a wide nine rusher. And then you yeah. have Foskey almost in like a four eye type of look. So like mm-hmm. they can't get that double team out there. Right. Like right. it's a one-on-one. Oh man. Oh man.
1: Yep. And they're all twitchy 100%. enough to still get to the quarterback in that situation. There's no 100%. doubt. Cause you're, we're talking about long down, long, long yarded situations. We're not talking about doing that sure. on third and two. No, like uh, third and 15. Right, right, right. Stuff exactly, like that. Yeah, Exactly. Or a two-minute situation, like a, like you know, that would be another one. It's a good, very good mm-hmm. question. John A. One says, "Is so Tyson Ford has already outgrown the big end position, or is he not ready to compete with Riley?" The reason we didn't discuss him uh, is is because we're, we don't view Gia Tyson as in the battle to start as a true freshman. Right. I think Tyson's going to play as a true freshman as long as he's healthy. I don't think he's outgrown big end yet. It's just more of this is a battle that was more about starting job. But you could easily mm-hmm. insert Tyson Ford into the conversation other, over over Nana or, or Alexander Ahrensberger, and it would be just as applicable. It's just, again, kind of like as much as I love Benjamin Morrison, I, I wouldn't in, spend an entire show breaking down him battling for the starting quarterback job yet. I, there's a lot he still has to prove. So that's kind of why we didn't say anything about Tyson. Uh, but would it shock me if Tyson Ford pushes his way out of the field this year? Nope, not at all. Not at yeah. all. He's really good, really talented. And I know because of how good the 2023 defensive line class is that we kind of forget about the fact that Notre Dame signed three, well, two, but then another guy moved, but three like, top 100 football players along the defensive line last year. Uh, yep. so, so they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Kenny Moore says, I think the linebacker were a big reason why Freeman dropped Fosk and he covered so much last year. That's an interesting statement. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. I don't disagree. I mean because if you're trying to get up back... underneath the curl route, who you who do you think is going to create more problems for the quarterback? Six one linebacker or a six five long armed drop end type of player?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't disagree with it, Kenny. Necessarily, I would I would say though, I mean, even when Marcus Freeman was at Cincinnati, though, they would drop Myjay Sanders a lot in coverage too, and you were just kind of the same thing. You're kind of like, why are we? Do-? And Cincinnati right. had pretty good linebackers. Like, right. I mean, they had the Darian Beavers kid,
1: and but is you know, Darian Beavers sp- a guy, you were going to say, hey, he's a great drop coverage not, guy.
2: He was more of a downhill great- player to me he's more of a downhill player, but I mean, he's also, you know, six four with vines for arms though. So he can close some, some windows at least, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think I'm going to kind of meet Kenny in the middle here. I'm going to say, yes, absolutely. There is something where like you have a couple undersized linebackers on the second level that don't have great length. They're not going to be able to close passing windows. You're going to kind of close those windows in different ways. But also Mm -hmm. I do think that there is some general just kind of schematic stuff that they do typically with, with that drop end.
1: Yep, I gonna I'm gonna disagree with your take on that because I kind of feel like that's what Kenny's saying. I think it's not so much that he dropped Keon Keeling into coverage; it's the volume with which he dropped Keon. So Keely at a higher rate, yeah, I can agree with that. I can
2: agree with yeah. that. I can agree with that.
1: Sure. Uh, and, and and I and I my my response would or my question would be: Would we have seen that as much if Maris doesn't get hurt? Probably that, not. Right. That's the that, and that's what I think yeah. where Kenny's coming from. Yeah.
2: yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, great point.
1: But I, I do think you're right. We were going to see that no matter what with Marcus. Some right, hundred percent. Because even like Darian Beavers, for example, I don't think he was yes. a super great cover guy, but he was no. at least long, right? He's I really mean, long. Yep. you know, you you could you could he could get in the window. Is is the point I'm making? Right where JD? Sure. I don't care how how athletic JD is. Like JD's athletic enough. Like a couple of times he got beat up the scene last year. He was right where he needed to be. It's just the quarterback put the ball high. He was covering a six foot five tight end, and he's six one. I mean, it's just <laughs> with thir- with 30 and a half inch arms, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Right.
2: exactly. Yeah. And
1: so that's kind of you know where Darian Beaver's going to be a little if he's in positions a little bit more. I mean, he's what six two and a half? Got longer arms.
2: <laughs> he's, he's almost six four, man.
1: He's well, a there, long guy even yeah, long. there you go. So he just yeah. that's where I say like he's almost. I mean, he's not that much smaller than Keon than Isaiah Foskey. You know, it's not, not quite long. as long, but very similar in, in size in that regard. Yep. So yeah, it's a it's a it's a very interesting, very interesting I, dynamic.
2: I I also think if Darian Beavers was on Notre Dame last year, he's probably playing more defensive ends yes. than he is playing linebacker. Yes. in my opinion, he's yes. more of a drop end than a true Mike. If I'm yes. being fully honest, but there's no doubt about
1: it, no doubt about it. All right, let's get to some more. Connor Nepper says, "How about Osita Ekwanu? I think he's very underrated." Need him to step up this year's special teams. I'll say this. The problem with Osita has been health. I mean, he was completely yeah. out last year. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy and he and he hasn't been able to find a home. I think that his body is better suited for linebacker. His game is better suited for defensive end. And that's kind of why he developed that role. But there was a couple times in the practice film that you guys would send me from being at practice, well, Vince would send me from the video we were allowed to have, and then uh, some of the drills I saw, and then, of course, the spring game, where I'm like, who's that dude? Is that Osita? Because you're seeing this dude come off snapping. I mean, he's just, like, coming off the line and just, like, getting into people's chests or popping the bag. And I'm like, whoa. Like, like you could oh, just okay, see the man. explosiveness. And you're like, who is that? And you're, and you're looking at like 34. That was Oceda. The problem is he's 6'1", 235 pounds, right? So, uh, and I just haven't seen him in a long time in a game situation. So it's hard for me to project anything from him, Connor. But I'll tell you this. There are some things he showed us in the spring where you're like, okay, he's healthy and he's got some punch. So I us. wouldn't be shocked if, and you remember that NASCAR package we were just talking about? if he's able to be comfortable playing edge, he's got the kind of twitchiness that Ryan, that you could say in a third down and long package, you're like, he could be that wide boundary rusher that we're, that you're talking about. You know, we're like, you were kind of more referring to like Patelho as a field kind of rusher. Right. And then I say Mm it's Foskey inside. Well, then you have that other kid in the boundary that could be a kid like Osita. So no, Connor, that's a, a really good question. It's just, Hard for me to say because we just haven't seen him a whole lot. I will say this though, Ryan, that last part of what he just said, I'll be shocked if O C is not on special teams this year. I know I mean, he's an explosive. He's an explosive kid. And he's a hammer. So, yeah, yeah. I would be yeah. shocked too because he he can run. Yep. Here's the question from John A One: What's Bo's Bauer ceiling if he does gain discipline and feel for the game? Is he then hands down better than J D Bertrand? What say you, Ryan Roberts?
2: I mean if he hits his I mean if he has really good discipline and feel for the game yes I mean he's be- yes I would say he's better than JD if if that stuff happens so obviously John like getting feel for the game to that degree in the short amount of time like that doesn't typically happen there's kind of like a natural feel to it right so in this situation though you're telling me I have Jay, I have Bo Bauer, who is a 6'3", 230-whatever-pound linebacker, who has all of a sudden kicked the mental side of the game in the butt, and he's able to play the game at a high-discipline level, then, I mean, yeah, that outweighs J.D. Bertrand, who's 6'7", 6'7", 6'7", or 6'1", 220-whatever pounds. Like, I mean, it's just, he's a little bit of a better athlete, Bo Bauer, in my opinion. So if they're on equal planes from the mental capacity side of everything. I would say, yeah, Bo's got a decent amount more upside in my opinion. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I have to think about that one. I, I, I still don't know if he's hands down better than JD. That's my thing. Cause the thing I think about JD is I do still think that lateral quickness is important for a linebacker. And that is still something I'm not certain Bo has in spades. Uh, that would be my only, my only question on that. But um yeah, it'd be it'd be a very it'd be a much different battle. It'd be a much more like competitive battle, and I wouldn't be assuming JD was going to win the job, even if I fully disagreed with Ryan and I still thought JD had the the better talent. I would say it's really close, right? I mean, it, even then, it would be really close and be a, a very a much more intriguing battle. And then I think it'd be a situation where you'd you know you'd kind of uh, you know you're you're kind of looking at it from the standpoint of maybe then it would be a little bit more of a, a an equal situation or certain games you're going to maybe play J.D. a little bit more because mm-hmm. of coverage or whatever, and then maybe certain games you may pay, play Bo more because they're, they are so equal. One guy presents a better matchup one week. The Like, for example, if Stanford was still Stanford, in that scenario, Bo Bauer's my starting middle linebacker, right? That's fair. Against North Carolina, it's probably J.D. in that scenario. So that's kind of where I would be. But, well,
2: I, I saw yesterday, Jim Nagy director of the senior bowl told MIT said on Twitter that Stanford has six draftable players next year, Brian. So it's coming back, man.
1: You know, what's funny is, it, yeah. you know, you kind of make joking about that, but you know, he's not wrong.
2: I, I don't ha- I don't, I don't, Fully disagree with it. Yeah, I do
1: think that they like they have the
2: two offensive tackles that I think are right. extremely talented. You got the corner, McKee's, McKee's Right, he's a draftable player. The blue, the blue Kelly kid, the, the sure. corner that you're talking right. about. Like there, are, there are some guys.
1: Ben Yerisec is going to be draft eligible next year. Oh, he's, I, he's, I like he's ben a guy.
0: Like
1: um, Urosek. you know, there's some some Higgins. of the receivers if they're healthy. Yeah. John Humphrey, yeah. if he's healthy, Michael and Wilson, if, if he's, likes he's Elijah healthy, Higgins, Elijah, Higgins. Like Elijah Higgins, Elijah Higgins. The problem is they're a lot like Notre Dame used to be when they were bad. Mm -hmm. They'd have five or six guys that are like NFL players, but then the drop-off after that is pretty stark. I'm going to say this. I think Stanford's talent at some important positions has gone way down, but I do think Mm -hmm. there's other – like their defensive line talent has just evaporated. Yes. But like receiver, offensive line, tight end, and to a degree the secondary – is a lot better than what they show on Saturdays. The coaching is the problem.
2: Well, I was going to really say, the, the development has been the right. biggest issue. Because, I mean, even right. Thomas Booker, I thought was a dude, but he never produced like a dude because he wasn't developed right at defensive tackle. The offensive tackles, I mean, Brian, what, how, how is Walter Rouse not a dude at this point? Like, how is right. he not? He's a very talented player.
1: Right. Him and right. My, not neither one Miles of those guys can be stud, impact players. Yeah. You can't get one of them ready to play at a high level. Like, don't I mean, even look like talented dudes. Even
2: even Walker Little was a guy that got injured, right? But, like, even when he played, he was an, never a dude. They had the Foster, Foster Serrell kid that they completely ruined, if I'm being completely honest about it, right? At right tackle. I mean, he was an incompetent football player. So, Stanford, for whatever reason, just has not developed players the last few years, man. They just haven't.
1: Yeah. I, I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna t- I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna throw this hot take out there, and you tell I me know. what you think about it. Yeah. If you put Notre Dame and their 12 opponents into a breakdown, Notre Dame has two hot takes. Number one, Notre Dame has the best tackle talent on that list. Notre Dame and their 12 opponents. Sure. Right. Not not a super sure. hot take. Stanford yep. has the second best tackle tandem talent wise on that list. Talent wise. I mean, who who's the
2: other? I mean, I guess Ohio State would be your your, your maybe push, I yeah. guess. Maybe Ohio State like, would
1: be one. It's fine,
2: right? It's fine. You know, you know, who's got pretty good tackles? Clemson's not as good. BYU, Clemson's another I was one. Say, yeah, BYU, Clemson. You a kid left tackle for BYU is yep. a good because
1: I believe Walker Parks is going to be starting at tackle for them this year, yeah, and they have Jordan sense, McFadden uh, back, right? McFadden's a solid, right? Player. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So there's some good tackle tandems on the schedule, not a ton, but some good tackle. Yeah. But I'm going to say I, 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 and I would not, I mean, if you're going to tell me Ohio state, I'm not going to argue with you, but you're, you you would not convince me. It's it's, an. I'd be, ar- I'd be unconvinced. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it's an
2: argument. I mean, yeah. If you look, if again, if I was a scout going through the building of Stanford and I saw Walter Rouse and Miles Hinton standing there, I'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> those mm-hmm. are the guys I need to talk to." Right? Like that's yeah. that's the guy. I mean, Miles Hinton's like six six three fifteen, just right. clean everywhere. Walter Rouse is like six six three twenty, also clean. Like they just have right NFL frames. If we're being honest, so yep. and they're good athletes for the position too. So,
1: yep, I I think that if they were coached by Harry Heastan – Mm-hmm. they would be I me mean, because like the thing is like of the four Walter Rouse, Miles Hinton, Paris Johnson, and Dewan Jones. Yes. I'd say Paris Johnson's the best of those four. Sure. Potential talent, talent. We're yes. talking talent oh, 100%. Right? He's got to make easy, the adjustment yeah. to tackle and all that. Just pure talent. Imagine, but him, I would,
2: imagine him coached by Harry Easton, <sighs>
1: Paris Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but two and three to me are clearly the two Stanford kids.
2: I don't disagree. And part of that's because I'm not, not as high on DeWan
1: Jones. I'm just not. I'm not. I'm just I'm yeah. not either. Yeah. But he's not terrible. I just, I'm not as high on him as other people. But it looked, I just think those two Stanford kids talent wise. To me, I could be wrong. I think Rouse is a kid who's a who's a legitimate top 20 NFL draft pick, physical talent. He's not anywhere close to that right now because he hasn't been coached and their strength. The other thing about Stanford that's really taking a hit, their strength program is awful. They can't stay yeah. healthy. Like they, mm-hmm. I mean, they have they have more injuries on a yearly basis than any team I've seen, and they're just mm-hmm. they get pushed around, and it, th- that's why we're talking about Stanford's best positions are like most effective positions are skill players, because it doesn't require as much of the strength stuff. You it's know crazy. what I mean? Because like they yeah. had another the McGill kid at safety. He's a good football player. He just was hurt most of last year, but he's a good football player. He'll be back this year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I just I, to me their coaching and their strength program is a, is atrocious. Atrocious yeah. Rouse, the talented, he's the most excellent though.
2: He's frustrating. I actually watched his game against Utah the other day, um, the Stanford game. And Rouse is such a frustrating player because his movement skills are so good. But then he gets like he'll be reaching on the backside and they'll try to give you like that that inside hand to get game position. and He'll just get rocked, man. Like he just mm-hmm. has no power in his mitts right now. It's right. Devin Lloyd took his lunch yeah. money in that game, man. Like, oh man, not great. Not it just great.
1: should be happening. It shouldn't be happening. Shouldn't. Shouldn't.
2: I mean, because David's a good player, but like you're a 6'6, 3'20 in an athlete. Right. You should be a guy. You should right. be a
1: guy. Right. right. John A1 asks Can you see uh, Clarence Lewis playing in the slot?
2: Yeah, I could. Mm-hmm. I think, I think he, could. I think legitimately Clarence Lewis has enough talent and a physical perspective from, a, from an actual physicality perspective where I think he could play in the slot. I think he can play some safety, and I think he can play some outside. So that's the versatility I want, John, honestly. That's why I'm not hoping that Clarence loses his starting spot. But if Ryan Barnes does take the starting spot and I could be more versatile with Clarence Lewis, I think he presents a lot of ability to play a couple different spots. I, I, I absolutely do think that.
1: Michael S. with a super chat. Thank you, Michael. It's a good question. I like this one. You're the new head coach at Notre Dame. New in. Who do you choose to be your new off your offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese or Mike Denbrock? And why? Let me say is, this
2: is, is it bad that my initial response is Denbrock? I don't know why. Like no, my initial thought. I'll say, I'll yeah. say
1: why. I would be this would be a harder decision for me than, than you think because I had a great relationship with Mike Denbrock when was in Notre Dame. He's, he's mm-hmm. one of the best, forget the coach part, he's one of the best human beings in college football just a great guy. I'll I'll share a story. We had a, a, when I was at at the last place I worked at, we had a customer who uh, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Well, I know coach Denbrock battled that. And so I reached out to him and was just kind of sharing with him. And he was like, give me the guy's name, give me his number. Like, and he reached out to him like immediately. and was like, hey man, encouraged him. And it was really just an awesome thing where you're like, he doesn't have to do that. But the reason I reached out to him is because I knew that's the kind of guy he was right just one of the nicest guys but also a dog on the recruiting trail i mean he he would get after it i i, I gotta share my favorite one of my favorite mike denbrock I, I hope i can tell this now but so this was with t shepherd and 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 coach denbrock was going for an in-home visit with t shepherd and usc was there and orgeron was i believe orgeron was one of the coaches lane kiffin was a coach and they were trying to flip t shepherd if you remember and so T was doing an in-home visit with USC, but like they were out at like a restaurant doing a, a visit. And so T's like texting coach Denbrock, like Denbrock's like, where are you? We're supposed to be meeting, blah, 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 blah. blah. And T's not responding. Well, they were kind of, I don't say holding them hostage, but like trying to purposely keep T there. So there's like five USC coaches there and T's like, coach, I'm at this restaurant. Like they, you know, not that they won't let me leave, like it makes it sound like he was being held hostage. He wasn't, but like they were purposely trying to screw Notre Dame over. So Denbrock finds out where it is. He walks into the restaurant. This is what I was told, right? Walks into the restaurant, takes a chair, flips it backwards, and sits on the chair and just looks around, looks at every single USC coach in the eye and says, What's going on, fellas? Just sits down in the middle of their visit. And it's like, Okay, T's going to Notre Dame. Like that was when like they knew it was like they're done. You know, but it was just a great story. I absolutely love that story. But just, again, one of the most genuinely nice people in the business. And and I can't say enough good things about him as a human being. And he's a good football coach. The reason I would go with Tommy Reese, however, is I think Coach Reese has more potential to, to create an explosive offense. I'm more confident that a Mike Denbrock offense would be really fundamentally sound and solid and steady. But I think if Coach Reese is the coach, I think he's going to be this year. He has the potential, right? Because he he's a lot like as a coach what we're talking about a lot of these players. Man, the, all the yeah. talent in the world. Let's see if he can put it all together. You sure. know, now that he's got a good coaching staff. I think Coach Reese is is maybe what I've seen from him is a little bit more willing to kind of uh, go for stuff and and maybe think outside the box a little bit more be and, and yeah, um, be creative. Look for ISOs, yeah. and so I think if Coach Reese is kind of doing his thing and Coach Dembrock's doing his thing, Coach Dembrock's offense is going to be super efficient, which is why the 2015 offense was the most efficient and explo- – like the 2017 offense was more explosive than the 2015 offense, but it was still mm-hmm. almost like over a half a yard fewer yards per play than the 2015 offense. Why? Because the 2015 offense was much more efficient than the 2017 offense. A lot of that was because of Mike Denbrock and and how good he was, and part of it was the quarterback play, right? Sure. But I think Coach Reese would have a more explosive offense, in my opinion. That's fair. That's fair.
2: I think I think my I think my fault to this question is I guess I just kind of went for the more proven commodity a little bit, right? Like you kind of know what Denbrock is, you know what to expect from him. I agree with you. I think there's spurts where. I mean, there are some games I watch where I'm just like, man, Tommy Reese can call a good game, man. Like, he is a very creative individual. It's just about a more consistent yeah. basis, I guess. So, yeah. it's 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 again the upside versus the floor conversation, yeah. I guess, for me. Uh,
1: can I say this? I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think Mike Dembrock's a good football coach. I mean, guy, guy led since I mean, guy coached his playoff team last year. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just we saw kind of in that game where he needed to get creative to do some things against Bama, and he just he, he wasn't able to dial up enough. And part of it is because they just got dominated in the trenches. I mean, like I said, there's only so much you can dial up when you're just getting your butt kicked in the trenches. But um, you know, like why, like like if Tommy Reese left and Mike Denbrock came back to Notre Dame, I'd be a happy guy, sure. right? But I wouldn't be happy because Tommy Reese left. It's more about like okay, Coach Reese did a great job. I think Coach Denbrock's going to do a good job recruiting and coaching as well. But if I had to pick between the two, I – I, and now I'm taking a bit of a risk here because it's the known versus the unknown a little bit. I just have a feeling, and I could be wrong on this, I have a feeling that Tom Reese is going to really lead an explosive offense this year. As long as the quarterback play is good, which is partly on him, I I think that's a a big piece to this. But I'm just looking at this from an offensive coordinator because Mike Denbrock doesn't coach quarterbacks. He coaches tight ends and wide receivers. Sure. Right? I I really
2: liked a lot what Denbrock did at Cincinnati, especially last year, though, because, I mean, I – his offensive line was bad, in my opinion. Yes. Like, it was a bad offensive line, and he yeah. – I actually thought he was a little bit creative. Again, like against Ohio uh, – against Alabama, you're just kind – of, I mean, uh, against Georgia, you're, you're just kind of like, eh, we just don't have anything here, right? Like, we don't have dudes. Like, they're they're mm-hmm. they're outdoing us at that point, so. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. We are not Marshall. So Brian's point, can this D-line carry the team when the, there are lulls from other units? Well, it's first. It's first. against against nine of the teams in the schedule, absolutely. Absolutely. The question is going to get down to with a lot of the stuff. Tyler Buckner, if he's just a 55% passer and a good player, is good enough to beat nine teams on the schedule just by, I mean, I'm saying this hyperbolically, just by showing up and just playing their game right they're nine and three floor if they just don't play well because look they did not play well last year and went 11 and one like y'all get that they were a mediocre football team last year from a from a uh, an execution from a fundamentals from a energy, from a, just responding to adversity. They were a mediocre football team in every regard, but they went 11 one for one reason and really one reason only and way better players than 11 teams on their schedule. Now, yep. some of those games were much closer than they should like Toledo coached circles around Notre Dame last year, especially so the they- Notre Dame offense coach circles around them, but Notre Dame just had way better players. You know, like Purdue. Purdue had some really good stuff scheme, scheme last year on defense for Notre Dame, but it just didn't matter because Notre Dame had better players. And, and Tom Maurice was able to do some things in that game too schematically that I think created some big plays. But when you just talk about like, oh, their D line against Notre Dame's offensive line, it was like it was a mismatch. Which it's mm-hmm. freaking Purdue. You know what I mean? And and but they just had. I mean, they just couldn't cover Avery. They couldn't cover Kevin Austin and Avery Davis and Michael Mayer, and Brayden Lindsey, and Kyron Williams, just couldn't do it. Maybe it will take one of them out, maybe two of them, but you can't take all of them. Same thing against Toledo. We thought we had Michael Mayer covered and Kevin Austin covered, and oh, crap, we forgot about Chris Tyree. Shoot. You know what I mean? 55-yard touchdown later. That's the reality of it. You know, and Florida State did the same thing. You know, I mean, just it, – it, they there were so much like I was last night. Sean and I were were uh, were talking and, and two nights ago, and it was like midnight, and I got the I'm watching all 22 of the Ohio State or the Oklahoma State Notre Dame game. I'm like just watching the offensive line in the first. Time. I'm like I'm just like disgusted. I'm like this is a this is terrible coaching, and I'm like but they were in a game against the number five flipping team in the country. Why? Because mm-hmm. they just had better players than Oklahoma State. Did it's just you know at, at most positions, and that's what I say about this team but the question about can the d-line carry them to a victory of ohio state if the other positions are not playing well no does the secondary have to play great against ohio state if the d-line dominates no they just can't give up big plays just just sure stay in front tackle do your thing just play solid football if the front dominates then 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 the, the secondary doesn't have to play great. The problem is if the secondary plays poorly, which is what how I view a lull, then then Ohio State's good enough to neutralize your defensive line and shred you. Sure. That's what Oklahoma State did. They could neutralize the D-line and just throw one-on-ones, and the secondary had no answers. I don't care who they play. Any Any top 10 team's going to beat them if that's the case. That's the difference. That's fair. Anything you'd like to add to that, Ryan, Or we're kind of on the same page on that one.
2: I mean, I, I guess it's just you said you define a lull as not playing well. I guess right. it, like I guess it's just really your definition of what a lull is, right? right? Like I think a lull could also just be like you're fine, like you're not right. exemplary, like you're just there, which sometimes isn't gonna hurt you. But I mean to your to your point though, if it is one unit playing really well the defensive line and then everybody else not playing well at all, then that's not even a conversation at that point, in my
1: mm-hmm. opinion. Yep. Have a super chat from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Thank you for your super chat, Charlie. I just want to—I just want to say I've been going through a lot lately, personally. To an Irish breakdown, IB Nation, and the Lou Holtz book, I have seen some stress release. Thank you. I'd be curious what Lou Holtz book you're reading, Charlie, because there's one that is a a really good book for people that are either trying to be leaders or people that are just trying to get their own lives organized there's some great stuff in there which is why so many of his players loved him so i'd be curious what book you're which which because he's written a couple books i believe right um be very curious what book you're reading but uh let me thinking about you man and i'm sorry that you're uh you're you're going through a lot but i'm glad that you're here still with us still here with us absolutely appreciate Mm -hmm. you buddy eric pruitt next year how concerned should we be about defensive tackle depth on this roster I'm not, not over like I, this I see Ryan's yes. can you, you Ryan's reacting to the talent that they'll have coming back, and that i am fine. I mean I'm with you on that. I I think Tyson Ford can play inside. You know, uh Riley, Riley L-
2: Mills can give you something inside if they need potentially, to. Potentially, but uh, but right.
1: Lacey and Raw and, and Lacy and, and Cross aren't out of eligibility. The only guy that they sure. lose, the only two guys that they're gonna lose from the defensive tackle depth chart this year are Jason Adamiola and Chris Smith. That's it. Jacob Lacey oh, can I come. Get, I
2: completely looked over the f- fact that he said next year. I was thinking about this yeah. upcoming season. That's my fault.
1: That's yeah, my fault. next year. I, I'm I'm yeah. not con- – like, am I concerned about losing Jason Ademiola? Yeah. Sure. But it's kind of like with every other position. I'm going to be concerned about losing Isaiah Foskey, but they've recruited to the point where somebody's going to step up. Maybe not at that position, but somebody else steps up. Like let's say Riley Moses is a good player this year. They lose Isaiah and Ademiola. Next year he's a great player. And then the three technique becomes the Riley Mills, right? So it doesn't always have to be that guy's got to step up and be a star. Somebody else could be a star somewhere else. And then that, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. am I concerned about it? It, it, it? No. Does that mean I'm not going to be like, like Jason Adamule is a loss? It's a huge loss. It's just yeah. that cross comes back. Lacey comes back. Gabriel Rubio is going to be a junior. Aiden Kiana is going to be back. We'll see if he's able to contribute or not. Jason Onye is going to be going into this in the start of his career where I'm expecting him to start breaking out, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned Riley Mills could potentially move inside, plus they get yeah, Tyson Ford. They yeah. get right. Yeah. Plus you're you're going to have Tyson Ford potentially inside, you know, your freshman like Brennan Vernon and Devin Houston, Houston could potentially yeah. be guys that could help out as freshmen. So, I think they'll be fine. Will they have one guy as good as Jason Anamiola? We'll see. But, you know, if if my starting Inside next year's Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey. And I've got, you know, Jason Onye and Gabriel Rubio and potentially Tyson Ford. And, you know, the, then the incoming freshman I'm like, they're going to be all right. They're going to be fine. You know, and, and then if Aiden Keanu can get back and, you know, maybe give you some beef, then he helps out as well. Marcel asks, I have a mailbag question. I know the contract with Under Armour is in, is up in 2024, but I, I think who do you hear is the next one for us? Is it Nike or Jordan brand? I know it's the same family, but different. Well, I've they're in it for sure, but I've also been told, I don't know how true this is. So I'm just repeating kind of some things that I've, I've told kind of secondhand from sources. So just being honest about where it's coming from, that uh, Adidas is also uh, kind of still back into consideration. So I think there's going to be other companies that want to be involved in that brand because look, there's a lot going on good with sports in their name right now. The women's basketball team was back in the tournament last year. You know, they've got a, a, a young charismatic coach, the men's basketball team went 15 and five in the ACC. They're back in it. The baseball team is now a popular, you know, doing successful. The hockey team is really good. Like, yeah, they're on TV a lot for a lot of different things. I would like to partner with them. So I think, again, as long as Notre Dame sports and especially Notre Dame football can maintain that success, because remember, these deals aren't just for football. They're for the whole athletic department, Uh, but it's going to be a huge deal. So I think there's going to be several companies getting involved, which is good for Notre Dame, because that means it drives up the price, and that's obviously a positive, very, very much a positive. Anthony Solomon says, "If, if I told you Notre Dame wins the battle in the trenches on September 3rd, do you see them winning or do you think there's still too many unaccounted for variables to be for in the part for, in the first part of my question?
2: If, if Notre Dame wins on both sides of the trenches, I would say that Notre Dame has a very good chance. Are there go- still going to be some plays where a uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba beat you for a, a, you know, a chunk play. Sure. Is Marvin Harrison Jr. probably going to make a play a Mecca, Trayvon Henderson going to break off a run, even if everything's perfect in the trenches. Sure. Those things are all possible, but I would say more often than not, if you win the battle up front mm-hmm. on both sides of the ball, I'm going to give that team the advantage. So I do think that if Notre Dame asserts its dominance on both sides, that's, yeah, I would give them a very good chance to
1: win. I, I th- I'd i give them a chance, but I don't think it's a given that they're going to win. Sure. And the, the reason is I'd I say it's comparable to the Clemson game in 2018. Now, Notre Dame did not dominate on both trenches in 2018, mm-hmm. but they held their own early in the in the trenches. The offensive line held its own early in that game, and the defensive line dominated and They still gave up 30 points. Why? Because you can't sack the quarterback every single time he drops back to throw. Yep. And if your offense isn't stepping up and doing what they need to do and the quarterback's not playing – like if they dominate the trenches but, but Tyler Buckner throws two picks – and one of the running backs fumbles, or receiver fumbles, or they have dumb penalties in the secondary. Like you know, you get you hit the quarterback in the face, and he gets the ball off, but your stinking corner interferes, and you move. You know, there's so many of those variables. I'll say where I agree with Ryan is: Am I a lot more confident that Notre Dame can win the game? Yeah, because that's the recipe to having a chance to win the game. They're not going to look. Here's the deal: They're not going to go in in getting a foot race against Ohio State and and beat them right? They're not going to go, you know, touchdown for touchdown, all those type of things. And, 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 and they're just not going to win that battle And not on the road at night in Columbus against that team. It will be a shootout, but they'll lose, right? If they're going to win the game, it's because they physically beat Ohio state on top of your quarterback makes the right decisions and you make some plays on the outside. You got to make some plays on the outside. And, I mean, you go back to 1988. It's, it's the recipe Notre Dame used in 1988. Did Notre Dame have enough athletes to make some plays on the perimeter? Yeah. Did they get into a boat race with Ohio State with Miami? No. They physically beat Miami. You know, first time Steve Walsh was sacked all year. You know, th- those type of things. You have to have some of that stuff, right? You, you have to hit C.J. Stroud. You have to force incompletions. You have to force stops because your pass rush got to him but that stuff can easily be negated if your secondary doesn't play well. And that's what happened in those games is they were good enough on the perimeter to where they could hold their own. And then when the, when they won in the trenches, there you go. That's kind of how it went. So Jason Rose asked the question, Ryan, as we, as we get close to wrapping up here, if we aren't wrapped up, Hey guys, do you guys want to see Notre Dame utilize the transfer portal more? I mean, we've talked a lot about this, right?
2: There's just, undergraduate transfers are just a very hard thing to happen at Notre Dame. I think that they, Jason, I do think that they will continue to use the portal to bring in players that make sense. I mean, we've seen Chris Smith this year and Blake groupie and what would I like? I always, I think that moving forward, college football teams are going to have to utilize the transfer portal, like with, with how it is now with the free transfer and all that good stuff, you're going to have to utilize it. I think Notre Dame has utilized it. It's just with everything undergrad right now, it's hard to take those impact undergraduate transfers. But I think that mm-hmm. Notre Dame is always going to do their due diligence and they're always going to find the best fit if there is one that makes sense. So I, I don't mm-hmm. think it's as easy as like, we need to be more active. At Notre Dame, you need it to be a fit that makes sense also. it just You can't just take anybody.
1: Mm-hmm. We have one final question that we're going to get to here. And, and I agree. Look, the problem is – do I want to see him use it more? I'd like to see it, but I'm a big believer. I think at a place like Notre Dame, I want them to um, to always build through the high school route and then use the transfer route the way you always have. I got to plug a hole here. Guys like Cody Riggs. Cody Riggs doesn't transfer to Notre Dame in 2014. They're in trouble because right? you weren't anticipating your, your your best corner being suspended that year, right? right. Remember with, with Kavari Russell. Uh, yep. we've seen a Gilman and that was I mean, a Nick huge pickup when he transferred sure Notre Dame, you Nick know, McLeod. so, so, but he was a guy on that defense. They had one guy that was a transfer. I'm yep. all for that. Jack Cone last year I'm, I was all mm-hmm. for that. Uh, Caleb Evans. I would have loved it if Notre Dame would have landed to Caleb Evans last year, Nick McLeod, the year before, I I'm a big believer yep. in looking for transfers. I just want them to be, I don't want it to get lazy to where you don't put the work in on the recruiting trail and you just go look for a bunch of transfers. Fill the fill the voids when they're there because you missed in the recruiting trail, but but more so you had a guy leave early that you weren't anticipating. Uh, mm-hmm. You know you had somebody transfer out or somebody left early for the NFL that you necessarily weren't anticipating. Somebody has a breakout year that you weren't expecting, and he leaves, and you're not prepared to fill that hole, or you're not sure if your rising sophomore or incoming freshmen are ready for certain to take over that role. Then that's mm-hmm. a time when I'd say go get it and um and go from there so that's that's what i would do that's what i would do that that is last question from thomas walsh is in your opinion does tobias merriweather have a legitimate shot at getting a lot of snaps this season
2: yep he's talented enough i mean we talked a lot about this during the show right brian it's like that boundary position there's guys that you're excited about Deion colsey tobias merriweather maybe Jaden thomas but the reality is, is that they're all question marks right now. We don't know which mm-hmm. one or two or if all three are going to step up yet. We don't know that mm-hmm. right now. So yeah, I think Tobias is going to have an opportunity and I think that he can. I mean, he certainly has the talent to do so.
1: That is going to do it for today's show. Everybody. Thank you all so much for joining the show today. Please stay locked into what we got going on at Irish Join the message boards at boards of Irish breakdown.com. And of course, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, and make sure that you share this podcast. We thank you all so much for being a part of our show and joining us on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Six o'clock tonight. Don't forget, IB Nation Sports Talk with Vince. Not quite sure what the topic is for today. I haven't heard from Vince yet on that one, but it'll be interesting, I'm sure. Yesterday's show was a lot of fun with him and Jesse Stiers talking, debunking the myths of learning football. That was a cool one. And I want to check that one out. So make sure you tune in Tonight. 6 p.m. Eastern for the IB Nation Sports Talk. Sean Stars will be back next week as vacation is over. Uh, well, it will be over by then, so he'll be back next week and we'll be ready to rock and roll. So have a great rest of your day. Thank you again for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast.